Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. That's one of three places we will look at, but it'll be the first place, Luke chapter 10. Uh, Let me say a couple of things. First of all, um, last Sunday, Friend Day, we had 601 people on the grounds, not including the 51 folks who attended the Hispanic service. So if you count Paul's group in that, you had 652 people who were here. That is the most we've ever had in worship on Sunday morning at Palmetto Baptist Church. It happened on Friend Day last Sunday morning. And folks, you, you stepped up to the plate. You stepped up to the plate. You invited people and they came. And you came and people felt welcome Uh, We got a lot of good feedback from folks. You stepped up to the plate, and I want you to know how much I appreciate you. Now, you're probably sitting back there, some of you, a few of you, say, well, you know, I really didn't step up to the plate. I didn't bring a friend. But you prayed, or you listened to us promote it. And whatever you did to make last week great, I want to thank you for it. There's so many people who work so hard, I I wish that I was uh, smart enough and had a good enough memory right here on the, on the cuff to just list for you all the many people who played such an instrumental role in last week. And I can't do that because if I do, I, I, will, I will mess up somebody and, and miss somebody. I do want to mention two people, Bobby and Joy Brightwell, who oversaw the entire effort. Uh, but there were so many people in addition to them who worked so hard, and I just want to thank you so much for that. If you invited a friend last week and they came, uh, let me encourage you to go a step further. And that is keep building your relationship with that friend, that unchurched friend, and uh, let the Lord use you to bring them to our church family. Uh, that is the best outreach that can be had. I mean, we, we can pull together outreach teams and the staff can go out and visit and, and the deacons can go out and visit. But let me tell you, the best outreach is when somebody has a friend and they develop that relationship with that friend and then they reach that friend for the Lord and for uh, to, to join our church family. So I, I encourage you to do that. Don't stop. Friend day is not over. I'm still going to preach on friends this morning and next Sunday morning. Sorry, it's coming again. But it's because it's not over. The follow-up now is here. And uh, so important to be friends to the unchurched, to be friends to the unchurched. And I I hope that all of us, I pray and urge all of us to step outside our comfort zone and develop relationships that will lead folks into a relationship with the Lord and into a relationship with, with our church. Same thing I want to say is I want to thank all of you who prayed uh, for my dad this week. My dad had a light heart attack on Tuesday. He's 72 years old. Um, uh, they put him in the hospital and they did a heart catheterization on Wednesday and they found two blockages. And uh, one of those blockages was about to rupture and they were close enough together. They put in a single stent to resolve both of those. And then he came home two days later and he's doing well. Uh, he's going to have to change his diet. Uh, he, is a, he is a Baptist preacher who fits the stereotype. He eats fried chicken. Yes, he does. And uh, banana pudding. And that's where I got my love for banana pudding from. And he's going to have to change all of that. Uh, he weighs about 245 and needs to lose about 50. And uh, so 
Uh, he's going to be hard to live with for a while, but he'll get used to it, and, uh, and I appreciate that. He dodged a bullet. He really did, and I'm thankful to the Lord uh, that I still have him. Um, this morning, I want to introduce you to some close friends of Jesus. We see them in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see them on three different occasions. One is in Luke chapter 10. The second one is in uh, John chapter 11. And then the third one is in John chapter 12, which ironically, John chapter 12 relates a story that occurred before the events of John chapter 11. Uh, But three times we are introduced to these uh, friends of Jesus. It's it's a, a group of siblings, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, a brother and two sisters. They live in the village of Bethany. Bethany is 1.5 miles west of Jerusalem. And every time Jesus went to Jerusalem, he stayed with them. It didn't matter that when he would go into Jerusalem, when the evening was through, the night was, was, when the day was through, he'd have to walk a mile and a half back out to their house. For him, it was always worth it. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe Jesus going to Jerusalem only one time. And that one time was to go to Jerusalem to be crucified. In the Gospel of John, we are shown Jesus going to Jerusalem at least four times, maybe five. And every time he goes to Jerusalem, he will stay at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were his holiday inn. I want you to look with me to Luke chapter 10. We'll begin reading with verse 38 and go through verse 42, and then we'll go over into John chapter 11. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. By the way, every time you see this Mary in the gospel, she is at the feet of Jesus every single time. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now understand this, Martha is the one who calls the shots in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. She's upset here. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha's a little bit bossy. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, and indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, there's more to that passage, but just enough to introduce you to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, skip over to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. This whole chapter involves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but I'm only going to read the first five verses just to, just to introduce you to John's uh, depiction of the relationship that Jesus had with these three very special people, very special friends. Verse 1, John chapter 11, verse 1, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. It's a parenthetical statement. The ironic thing about this is John hasn't told us anything about a Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus and poured perfume on his feet up to this point. He'll tell us that in chapter 12, which means that the events of chapter 12 happened before the events of chapter 11. 
John doesn't write chronologically. Frustrating. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness, is, will not, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now listen to this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Do you, do you hear that? He loved these three people. Now skip over to John chapter 12. The first three verses. John chapter 12. Verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary, Martha, Lazarus. Jesus spent most of his time in the area of what is now northern Israel, around the cities that dot the western coast of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, Tiberias, um, some of those cities. He spent most of his time up there. Indeed, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, devote uh, over half of, of their content to Jesus and his ministry and his teaching and his miracles in the area of Galilee. It's only in the last half or third of the, of the first three Gospels that Jesus is, is on his way to Jerusalem. The Gospel of John has Jesus going back and forth from Galilee down to Jerusalem, back up to Galilee, back down to Jerusalem, up to Galilee, back down to Jerusalem. At least four times, possibly five or more times, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And every time he goes to Jerusalem, he stays a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem in the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It was almost like he enjoyed their company. It was almost like when he was there, not only were they intimate friends with him, but they protected him from the crowds. They, they knew what he needed. They knew the solace that he needed. They knew the, 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 the privacy that he sometimes needed, and they provided that for him. When he came, they had dinner on the ground, every single meal, it seems. And sometimes they would invite other close friends. They were good friends with Jesus. He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, the verse says. He loved them and he longed to see them. Martha was the one calling the shots. It sure seems that way in the Gospels. Mary was the quiet one. Lazarus, he was the man of the house, at least in title, but he was only the man of the house in so far as he would do what Martha told him to do. And I can see that every time Jesus would go there and he would spend some time with them, they would get up with his disciples, however many of them were there. And as they started to leave, Martha would say, come back and see us when you can. I love that phrase. Come see us when you can. You ever had anybody say that to you? Come see us when you can. Uh, this story reminded me of a story in 2 Kings chapter 4 in, involving the prophet Elisha. Elisha went to a city called Shunem. It's about 150 miles north of Jerusalem. 
uh, between Jerusalem and the area of Galilee. Elijah passed, uh, Elisha passed through Shunem, and the Bible says there was a godly woman there and her husband. And, and every time Elisha would pass through there, this woman and her husband would invite Elisha to stay with them. And 2 Kings 4 says, at one point, this woman turned to her husband and she says, you know, I perceive that this is a godly man, a man of God who passes by our way all the time. Let's, let's reserve, set apart a special room for him and let's put a bed there and let's put a, a side table and let's put a lamp there so that every time he comes, he'll have his own private place that he can stay. The Bible says that they did that and sure enough, every time Elisha would come through Shunem, he stayed with them. We don't even know the woman's name. Neither do we know her husband's name. But I'll guarantee you that every time Elisha got up to leave, they said, well, we loved having you here. Come back and see us when you can. I love that phrase. I grew up from time to time hearing people give that phrase. When I thought about Lazarus and Mary and Martha and their friendship with Jesus, and I thought about this woman and her husband and their friendship with Elisha, I got to thinking about uh, my dad's time as a pastor. This year, he will mark 47 years as a pastor of uh, country Baptist churches, some as small as 25, uh, all the way up to there were a couple of churches that were around 1,000. They'd run 1,000 members all through the gamut. And I thought about, uh, some of the people that we met whenever, before I went to, uh, started pastoring, and we would go along with Dad to different places. In 1964, I was four years old, and Dad became the pastor of Shady Grove Baptist Church in Shake Rag, Georgia. Atlanta is a suburb of Shake Rag, Georgia. Today, Shake Rag is called Johns Creek, but we didn't know Johns Creek back then. It was Shake Rag, Georgia, and some folks call this Shake Rag Baptist Church, and some folks called it Shady Grove Baptist Church. We were there four years. We left for a year, and then we came back for a year. But during those four years, we met some people who stayed in our lives even up till this very moment. I, I remember we would... We would go and, and to Arlen and Virginia Sanders' house. They had a daughter named Connie. She was about my age. I remember Connie. She was baptized in the same lake that I was on the same Sunday morning in August in 1968. There were 23 of us baptized all at one time. Connie was one of them. I was one of them. My dad baptized us. It was a glorious, glorious day. And people dotted the side uh, alongside that lake, the, the, the sh- on the shore of that lake, and they, they sang... Shall we gather at the river where bright angel feet have trod? And there was a special presence of God in that place. Connie Sanders. We went to eat sometimes with Arlen and Virginia Sanders. Arlen was a very quiet man. He had blonde hair, a receding hairline like mine, except his hair was blonde. It was always cut in a crew cut. And he had a bass voice, although he didn't sing that much. Virginia was a huge, huge woman. And my mom and dad would go there, and we'd play with Connie, and um, they would play Rook. I don't know where it happened, and it's certainly not in Scripture, but somewhere along the way, God invented Rook. I'm just going to tell you, he invented Rook. 
And uh, he invented one, one single game of Rook. And what happened, what has happened with Rook is the same thing that's happened with his church. He invented one church and down through time that church has broken off into different denominations. He invented one game of Rook and it has divided off into different denominations. Nobody seems to play it the same. I thought I had seen every possible way to play Rook until I came to Palmetto. In Palmetto, they play Rook in a way that nobody on the planet plays it like that. Nobody. The rook is wild. You can play it any time. But you don't have to play it at any time. Boy, that was news to me. And even though you played the rook, it, could, it, it was not the boss. It could get beat by another cart. I'd never played like that before. These people were cheating as far as I was concerned. My mom and dad played with the black two. The black two counted 25, the rook counted 20, and the black two could always keep the, uh, take the rook. Some people play with the ones. Some people don't play with the ones. If you ever go play with Doris and Hugo Parkman, get ready. She plays a totally different game of rook herself. It's called, it's called high-low, high-low rook. And those of you who know rook, you deal the cards. There are five cards in the middle, usually. One of them's turned up, and you make bids on what you think you can make. If Doris gets the bid, that means whoever gets the bid gets the cards in the middle. And then you have to go through and you pick the best cards you have and you lay aside five that you discard. And you play and you try to make what you bid. What Doris will do is she will bid and she will get the middle and she will open it up and she will then and only then call high-low. This happened to us one day. We were over at their house, Amanda and I, and we were playing against Hugo and Doris, and she got the bid, and she pulled the cards in. She said, by the way, this game is a high-low game. I looked at Amanda. She looked at me. We'd never played high-low. We'd never heard of high-low and rook. And so Amanda, I'm not going to do it, but Amanda did. She said, Miss Doris, what are you talking about high-low? She says, well, in high-low, all of the low cards count high, and all the high cards count low. I thought she was kidding. She was not kidding. She won the game mainly because Amanda and I were dumbfounded. And so mom and dad would go back in 64, 65, 66, 67 to Arlen and Virginia Sanders, and they would play Rook. I'll never forget it. They lived in a concrete block house, single story. It was colored light green all the way around the side had four rooms. You'd go in the first room, there was a small living room. Straight through another door, there was a a, a small kitchen that had a metal table there where they would eat and they would play rook. In a closed-off room, to the right of the living room was a bedroom, and then go through that room, and there was another bedroom. There were four rooms in the house. Their bathroom was an outhouse. I mentioned that Virginia was a big woman, she really became close friends with my mom. And one day she told my mom, she said, I know people, people talk about and probably think about my weight a lot. She said, Dolores, whenever I was little, there were days when we went and didn't have food. She said, there were some times I literally thought we were going to starve. And she said, when I was a little girl, I made a promise to myself that if I ever grew up and on my own, I'd never go hungry again. Arlen and Virginia Sanders. I remember when Virginia Sanders died. She had terrible migraines, excruciating migraines. They would leave her debilitated. 
And when she was 35 years old, an extreme migraine took her life. I've never heard of that before. Took her life. And before Connie and Arlen called 911, they called my mom and dad. I remember Forrest Powell, Forrest and Ernestine Powell. Forrest was one of the deacons at Shady Grove Baptist Church and led the singing. He was a salt and pepper guy, distinguished guy, had big, bright blue eyes. I mean, big as baseballs. Well, maybe not quite that big, but they were big. He owned a horse farm, but he never called them horses. They were always hosses. Well, this hoss over here, boy, it's a good hoss. I've had 14 hosses over here. I keep them in a separate place from all my cattle, but my hosses, boy, they, and they would ride hosses all the time. Had saddles. He had a son named uh, Ronnie. Had a, another son named Nolan. Had a daughter named Brenda. My dad married uh, all of his kids. Forrest's wife, Ernestine, she was a petite little lady, always had her hair fixed, and I never saw her without makeup. She would come out of the shower, totally made up. <laughs> and she never stopped talking. The woman never stopped talking. And finally it got to the point where people would just try to interrupt her. You had to. You had to interrupt her. And they figured that was the way to get her stopped. And they would interrupt her and they would say something. And the moment that they stopped saying whatever they were going to say, Ernestine picked right back up where she left off. She never stopped talking. Forrest and Ernestine Powell. I remember John and Margaret Settles. They live right across from Shady Grove Church. Very distinguished, intelligent people. They had two children, Don and Nancy. They pushed them a little too hard in school, but they uh, were insistent that they make absolute best grades. Don graduated high school, and he went to Emory to be a doctor. And as he was studying to be a doctor, he met the lady who would be his wife, she was also studying to be a doctor. They married while they were still in school. They were still studying this long number of years to be medical doctors. They were out jogging one day, and a car came by and swerved and hit his wife, killed her right there in the street. And in Don's grief, he felt God calling him to abandon medicine for the ministry. He pastors a Methodist church in North Carolina today. I'll never forget it. We'd go to their house and eat. One time we went there and Margaret was very proper and John was, had a deep voice. He loved to sing and he loved to sing bass. I loved to hear him lead. There was one song he would lead, number 60 in the church hymnal. His love and his glory are mine. It was a get up and go song and nobody could lead it like John Settles. And we'd go eat with him. And we sat down to eat. And Margaret got up and she says, now, what would you like to drink? And my brother, Timmy, who's two years younger than me, he spoke and he said, well, Miss Margaret, I'd like to have a beer. <laughs> I mean, out of the blue. Mother almost went under the table. Listen, you can't explain away stuff like that. You might as well just forget it. The more you try to explain it, the worse you look. I remember we'd go down into the basement and Don had this, this uh, Lionel train set that covered the entire basement. It was, it was amazing what all they had in that basement. John and Margaret Settles. Daddy went to Second Baptist Church in coming. I remember Second Baptist, they had so many wonderful people there. There was a song leader. 
And he was also a deacon. And he was a humble man, very humble man. He lived a mile and a half down the road from us. He and his wife both, we were in their house all the time. They had a daughter who was a year older older than me. And they had two sons who were several years older than me. They were both both cowboy types. One of them was a Harley rider. Anytime you saw him, Tom, he would always have boots and leather pants and a vest and some chain hanging somewhere. Sometimes there'd be a bandana that he'd put on under his helmet. We got to know them, the deacon. I'm not going to give his name here, his or her, her, his wife's name, but the deacon had this big warehouse full of antiques. He had like, I don't know, eight or ten antique cars in mint condition. Unbelievable. He'd take us down there to see him. I remember one time he started getting sick a lot. And the doctors could not figure out what was going on with him. They kept running tests, couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. One day, one of the doctors kind of flippantly said, you know, the symptoms you have are symptoms that someone would have if they'd been poisoned. We went over there one day about that time, and my sister Jenny, who was born in 1969, she was just a kid then, and and we walked in, and there was a bowl of fruit on the table, and... The lady of the house, she said, y'all come in, make yourself at home, and, you know, do you need anything to drink, you want anything to eat, yada, yada. And so Jenny reached over on that bowl and pulled out an orange. And the lady said, oh, no, no, honey, that's, that's Uncle So-and-So's. Uh, I'll get you one from another room. We didn't think about that much then. A few months later, Sheriff deputies drove up, drove up in, the, in the parking lot and they arrested her for poisoning her husband. She'd been injecting poison into the fruit and into his apple pies. They took her to prison. She was sentenced to spend her time at the mental hospital in Milledgeville, Georgia, And on the day that she was to go, she called my mama to take her. And my mama drove her to Milledgeville. After several years of being down there, she was released and she came back home and her husband took her back. But I remember while she was gone, one of their sons, Tom, the one that was the Harley guy, he came to our house. He sat down in our living room, and at some point in the conversation, he bowed his head, lowered his head, and he says, you know, he was talking to my mom and dad. He said, everywhere I go, people look at me as though I'm the one who did it. Come see us when you can. I remember one time Daddy was in revival. It was not unusual for him to preach four or five straight weeks of revival during the summer. And revival up there is different. 
It's not Sunday night through Wednesday night type thing like you see in some churches down here. It was you started on Sunday night and it went all the way through the following Sunday morning and you had services every morning and every night and you were expected after the morning service to go visit with some folks and eat lunch with them. You leave there and you run by the hospital real quick and then you go and eat supper with another church family and then after that, you'd go straight to the church for the evening service. And then the youth group would have something after the Sunday night service. And so you'd leave out early in the morning. You wouldn't get back till late at night if you were the preacher or the evangelist. Now, we were growing chickens at that time. We had a, a chicken house that would hold about 20,000 chickens. And we would have chickens and we'd keep them for about seven and a half weeks. And then they'd come take them and, and they would end up at your Chick-fil-A or your Kroger or Tyson's or wherever. We were the ones who took, you know, did that for you. Just want you to know. And, um, but they, they would, they would give you only a certain amount of time between when they picked up the chickens and when they brought new chickens. And during that, during that interval time, you had to go in and sometimes clean out the chicken house, all the litter, and then you had to have shavings brought in, and you had to get all your, uh, you had diff- a different set of feeders and drinkers for the little chicks that you did for the big chicks, and just a lot of work to be done. And it happened right in the middle of that revival season. And back then, when the company that brought shavings to put on the floor of the chicken house, when they brought them, they would drive the truck through the middle of the chicken house, and they would, and they would have about... 10 different piles of shavings that they would drop. And then you'd have to go down there with pitchforks and manually spread the shavings. It was an enormous job. And I remember one time in a revival meeting, uh, we got in late, and Daddy had already told us, boys, he says, now when we get in tonight, he said, they're going to bring chickens in the morning. They're supposed to be here at 7.30 in the morning. And he says, we don't have those shavings spread. We're going to have to, sh- we're going to, have to scatter them. It's going to take us all night to do it. I dreaded that so bad. I wanted to get sick. Something. I mean, Daddy, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, I, can't, I can't go out. We got home and we went in. Daddy put on his, took off his suit and put on his coveralls. And, and Timmy and I went in. And we got our, our 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 good jeans off and put on some old jeans and heard a rumble outside. It was about eleven o'clock at night, and we looked out. And every man from Shady Grove Baptist Church had pulled up in our driveway with pitchforks in hand. What would have been an all-night job for me and my dad and Tim ended up being about a two-hour job. Ah, I could go on. Marvin and Betty Bowling at New Harmony Marvin was a contractor, very successful contractor. Everybody wanted him to build their house. He built, built them so tight. I remember he was standing in, in, a, uh, in a house they were constructing, standing over a bathtub the day that he had a massive heart attack and fell into the bathtub. There were times when Marvin Bowen would call our house, y'all going to be home for a while? Yeah. And a truck would drive up with a new appliance. It was amazing. Relationships. Y'all come see us when you can. And there's Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I wish I had time to go through so many families, as I look back, who touched our lives in so many ways. And those are just the families in my dad's churches. The families in my churches, including a lot of families right here, will go with me till the day I die. 
Folks, you can go to any church in South Fulton, Fayette, or Coweta County and find God. You can go to any church in those three counties and find Bible studies and open Bibles when preachers preach. You can go to any church, Christian church, in this three-county area, and you'll sing some of the same songs. But let me tell you one thing you won't get anywhere else. You won't get relationships with you. And my friends, that's what she's all about. It's about the relationships we build in a community bound by a love for Jesus. That's what it's about. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I wish, wish, wish I had more time. So many wonderful stories, all of them true, all of them with their own unique twist. And everybody who's here could think back over their lives to people who you sent into their lives to touch them. And it made up the story of their lives. Lord, I pray for deeper relationships here. First, a relationship with you. Lord, I pray for people to make the decision to invite you into their lives and begin that relationship with you. And then I pray, Lord, that people would have a relationship with the church. And not just with the church, the term church, but with the people who make up that church. The Arlen and Virginia Sanderses. The John and Margaret Settles. The Jim and Betty Perrys. Marvin and Betty Ann Bolins, the, the Bug and Murtis Tatums. And yes, even the folks who make mistakes, big ones. Lord, may this be a time when relationships are built. In Jesus' name, amen.